don't know whether you ever think in your life that, um, are you in a season where everything seems unusual? Ever been in a season like that? Um, I think as a church, we are in that kind of a season. If you'd have said to me three months ago, um, in November, would you have fed 70 people, 700 meals? Not in Africa or India, but right here in Hales Owen. I'd have said to you, no way. A, there's not that much need, and B, how could we ever do that? But we have done that. Sadly, there is that much need in our local community. But I think, magnificently, you as a church have responded, and we fed 70 people, 700 meals, over the last three months. If you'd have said to me just two months ago that the lighthouse would finish, and that we would be in a situation where we're now trying to, along with others, pick up some of the impact of that, and that over the last couple of weeks, we've rehoused 13 of those groups in the building. We've met with in excess of 200 people from the community. If you'd have told me that two months ago, I'd have just been staggered. If you'd have told me two weeks ago that I would get a call this week from the Conservative office asking if we would host David Cameron this Friday night in our building. See, that that gets the reaction, isn't it? We'll we'll talk about that later. I, I wouldn't have believed you, but that's what happened this week. I had a phone call from the local Tory Conservative party. And uh, saying, look, David Cameron's coming into Hal Zoe on Friday. That's this Friday coming. Would you host him in your building? They sent a logistical guy up from London. Obviously a Tory. Won't, won't go there. Very straight back. Very nice. And, uh, and sorry. <laughs> and, uh, and we met him, chatted, everything. Long story short, love the building. There were a few issues. They're not going to be coming here on Friday. But they are going to be coming to another venue in Hal Zoe, which I can't tell you. If you would like to go then I've had this invite and I was told that I can pass that invite on. So if you would like to go, it's 5.15 this coming Friday. Chance to hear him and also to ask questions. You have to register, okay? Nobody can just turn up, but it's open to all political persuasions and all of that. But if you'd have said to me just a few weeks and months ago, would you be involved in all that stuff? I'd have said, no way. We're living in unusual days. And God is doing unusual things amongst us. And I haven't got the time today, and it's not the focus, I will do, to tell you all that is going on in our community, and, and the pull, and the, and, and the sense of could you as a church be involved. I haven't got time to tell you all of that. But it's amazing. It's amazing what God is doing. And I want to say that just to set the context for what I want to say. And this is the shortest preach that I'm ever going to give on a Sunday, okay? So take note. Not only does he wear a suit today, but it's a short, it could be the taste of things to come, okay? Some of you, amen. Yeah, yeah, I thought, yeah. I gave, I gave you that too. I gave you that. From the beginning of time, men and women, okay, from the beginning of time, have sacrificed on ground. Imagine a cave, and a man comes out of the cave, because women, from time to time, we do come out of our cave. And the man comes out of the cave, and he feels the sun on his face, and he senses the rain falling down on his head. And he looks up, and he sees that up there, somehow, sun comes and rain comes, and that makes an impact on the ground, and the ground yields its fruit and he can feed his family on what comes out of the ground. He recognises, even though he's primitive, that someone or something does something up there which means that I can live down here. So what he starts to do in his psyche as a human being is this idea that there's someone or something up there and I've got to respond to that. So he sacrifices. He brings some of the grain back as an offering to say thank you to whoever or whatever is up there. But also he wants to keep them happy. He doesn't want them on his back. And those sacrifices grow larger as his fear grows larger. So it's small grain, then big grain. Small animals, then big animals. Then eventually, some people, like the prophets of Baal, that we'll think about in a few moments, they cut themselves in order to show the gods that they were really devoted to them. 
The ultimate expression of this in the ancient world was to sacrifice your own children. Now it seems barbaric to us, and it is barbaric. And so when we read in Genesis 22, of when God says to Abraham, listen, that son that you've got, that son that I gave you, Isaac, take him and sacrifice him out of love and obedience to me. It seems barbaric to us, and it seems crazy why he just does it like that. But we don't understand that was the world in which he lived. People did that all the time. It wasn't unusual for him to, for that, because that's what happened. And so he took him out of love and obedience to God and he's just about to sacrifice him and God says, no, stop, stop, stop. And then God says this, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to do this anymore because I've provided a better sacrifice. There he is, it's the ram that's caught in the bush. And you see, we think God is barbaric when we read stories like that. We don't understand that God right then was pulling humanity on and forwards to a better future. The world in which Abraham lived was that kind of world where you would do anything to keep the gods off your back, even sacrifice your own kids. You were so fearful. But God said, you don't need to do that because I provided a better sacrifice and it's a ram caught in a thicket. And that, of course, is is a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that God provided, which was also on ground, the ground that we call Calvary, where the cross was. And the lamb, John says, who takes away the sin of the world was the ultimate sacrifice. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Aren't you glad about that? Now, the reason I say all that to you this morning, okay, and you're thinking, wow, cavemen, Charles, what is all this about? I want to make it really clear what we're doing and what we're not doing today. We're going to invite you in, in, a, in a few moments, in 15 minutes, something like that, to bring sacrifices. Not money and no small animals. All right? Or large animals. All right? No children. We don't accept them neither. Okay? You're going to bring your gifts, your sacrifices of money. Some of you said you want to bring gold, and that's fine. And we're going to ask you to put it in this pot, and I'll explain this whole thing in a moment. But I need to be really clear with you. When we sacrifice money, we're sacrificing much more than money. We're also sacrificing our stuff, and our lifestyle choices, and our preferences, and our desires. And that's a powerful, powerful thing in today's culture. But what we're not trying to do is we're not trying to earn God's favour. We can't do that and we don't need to. So I want to take that right off the table. If you feel, I want, I want God to be pleased with me, please, God already is as pleased with you as He can be. We are not sacrificing today to try and keep God off our backs, which is what they did in the ancient world. We're not sacrificing to try and keep God from being angry with us. God loves you passionately. Do you know that? All of his anger was pushed on Jesus somehow in this sacrifice. We don't need to sacrifice in order for God to be pleased with us. This is none of those things. What we're inviting you to do this morning is to sacrifice not out of fear or out of guilt or out of condemnation, but out of love and out of devotion and out of response to the call of God into your lives. That's what we're doing this morning. And for me, that's more exciting, isn't it? Than sacrificing to try and keep this angry God off my back. That's not what we're about. What we're going to invite you to do is powerful beyond measure. It's world class. It's history making. Today, this ground that we're on is going to become holy ground. So, in a few minutes, I want to just tell you what I think happens when a community of people like this sacrifices together. You see, we, a month ago, the leaders in this church, um, 19 households, 35 people, many retired, 
many church workers, we met together and I gave a similar little talk of what happens when leaders sacrifice. And as you know, the leaders did sacrifice and together out of that small group, 8% of the church gave £267,000 towards this project. When leaders sacrifice, certain things happen. But what happens when a community of people sacrifices? Well, number one, what happens is that resource gets released in amazing ways. In Exodus 36, and I'd love this to be a verse for our church, this is when Moses asks the people in the, uh, to sacrifice and to give offerings for the building of the sanctuary. And it says in Exodus 36, verse 6, Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp, No man or woman is to make any other offerings. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Now they're great. They all sacrificed so much, that Moses said, Whoa, 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 too much. That would be great. Too much. That's what happens when everyone sacrifices. They all gave different gifts of different value, of different size. But when everyone did it, resource got released in amazing ways. Number two, strongholds in your life will get broken. Paul says in, in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I'll tell you what, the biggest strongholds most of us as Christians have to deal with in our life, I believe, are connected to money. That stronghold of, well, can I really trust God? That stronghold of, well, I want that, I have to have it, and therefore I get in debt. That stronghold of, what happens if I was to give that away? Would God really meet my need? That's a massive stronghold. But I'll tell you what, breaking a stronghold is a powerful experience. The Bible says it wasn't for strongholds that you were set free, it was for freedom. And there's a song, I think it's a youth song, a soul survivor song, where it says, free to give, free to live. That's what we are today, isn't it? We are free to give. We are free to sacrifice. Because God in Christ has broken the strongholds that keep us bound up. You know, there's some amazing stories already happening here in the church. And I've heard about half a dozen this week. And I'd love some of them to be told because I think they're really inspiring. About where people have said, I really want to sacrifice but I can't because of this. And then you'll never guess what happened. My boss invited me into my, into my office and this is what's happened. And someone else said, I had, a, I had a freak call from the water board and I've had this rebate, you won't believe it, and this and this. So many stories of God resupplying need when you sacrifice. Strongholds get broken. Number three, the spiritual temperature goes up. How many of you would like the spiritual temperature in your life and in this church to go up? Yeah? Not that it's low, but it can always go up, can't it? And in the early church... The early church were just starting to experience tough times and persecution. And it says in Acts 4 verse 32, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Tell you what, the spiritual temperature in that early church, when they sacrificed, just began to go up and up and up. And even though they got a lot of opposition, they saw amazing miracles, and in a few years they changed the world because they were willing to put their money where their mouth was. They're willing to say, do you know what? We will sacrifice in order to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. And the final thing that I'm going to say before we lead into this time is that when a community of people like us sacrifice, the world will sit up and take notice. Did you know that? 
I have to, you need to know that right now, today, there are Christians, I've had texts this morning from other churches locally, and I've had messages from churches overseas who are praying for us today. They're praying for what you're doing this morning. They're also watching, because they're wanting to be inspired. Because they're wanting to believe that in today's day and age, when there's so much pressure on the church, especially in the Western world, in terms of you know, involvement, and in other parts of the world in terms of persecution, they are desperately watching to see, is there a community of people who believe enough in God and trust enough in God to do amazing things for God's kingdom? Because if they do, that will inspire us. And the world around us will take notice when we as a group of people sacrifice. One of my favourite stories in the Old Testament is, is in book of Kings, 1 Kings. You don't need to turn to it. I'm going to just read one verse. And the story is uh, Elijah, this kind of radical, slightly persecuted, complex kind of guy who thinks that he's the only one. And uh, he, he sets up in 1 Kings 18, he sets up this big jewel on the top of a mountain. And he says, There's all, he says, listen, God wants you, Israel, to worship him. But you're all worshipping these other gods, notably Baal. Okay? And there's all these prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Baal. And they're all, they're all testing Elijah, this one man. And Elijah says, I'll tell you what, we'll go up on the mountain and we'll put it to the test. So we'll do a sacrifice. So he cuts up the animal, okay, because that's what they did. Put it on the wood, poured water on it to make it more difficult because he was a bit crazy like that and then he said now the God who answers by fire the God who sends fire he's God that's a pretty high risk strategy for a leader can I just tell you that all right it's not in there with the most you know it's a it's a high risk deal and so he sets this whole thing up and it all happens and it comes down to a moment right where you, you can do all the preparation you like there comes to a moment when this is it now this is hit this is you know hitting the road moment this is it and he prays. All the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves and screaming and hollering and doing all this crazy stuff. He just steps forward and he, and he prays. He says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Good prayer. But listen to this. I think there's comedy here. And that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your command. Can you see what he's saying? He says, let it be known right now, God... That you're God, but in case you'd forgotten, I am your servant and I've done everything you've asked me to do. In other words, you better show up now, God, because I'm putting my head on the block here. I understand that prayer as a leader. I really do. And, and I've thought like that. And there will be times when I do think like that. And the elders collectively, we prayed yesterday morning and we prayed for you. As a church who we love leading and serving you so much. And we prayed for you. And I feel like that sometimes. But what I want to feel like is the next verse that Elijah prayed. Because he then said, answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. See how his motive changed. The first verse he's praying... God, you need to show up because this is me here. Do you know what I mean? On the edge here, right in the situation. But then he says, but no, God, it's not about me. It's about you. You see, his motivation was not that he would be known as a great leader. But his motivation was that the people and the world would know that there's a great God. That's our heart as well. In our humanity, we will feel like him in the verse before from time to time. But in the core of who we are, we want to say, when we sacrifice, the world will take notice. And that's important, isn't it? That the people sit up and say, do you know what? There is a God. I tell you what, there are people in our community who are looking on at us right now. 
And they're saying, how can you guys do that? Sat down in an Indian restaurant a few weeks ago, and Barry, who owns the Indian restaurant, banged and said, where have you got all that money from? We said, we haven't, Barry. Are you offering? He said, you can have a naan bread, I think was his, was his suggestion. And they're like, how can you as a church? We talked about faith and as a Muslim. And he said, how can you, how can you as a church even take that on? He said, this is what we believe God is saying to us. And there are people in high positions in our society who are looking on. And I tell you what, they'll sit up and take notice in the level of sacrifice. And they say, do you know what? These guys, they're into something, aren't they? They believe something passionately. The ordinary, normal people are willing to put their money where their mouth is. You know, last year at Christmas, we sang a song. Russ sang it. Um, and there's a line in this song, which is a great line in a lyric. It says, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. I love that line. And you know, our world will say to us, that's easy to say, prove it. We've heard all your words, church, for thousands of years. Prove it. This is one of the ways we will prove the truth of that, that God is not dead, nor does he sleep. Because for some of us, who are in difficult situations, who will sacrifice. For some of us who have come from backgrounds where we're going to find this really hard, and even when we write the cheque, we'll find it difficult, but we're willing to do it because we love God. When we do that, people say, well, perhaps God isn't dead. He certainly doesn't seem to be asleep there. He seems to be alive and well.